Welcome to the Thunderstock Show, where we have valuable brainstorms that enhance your life, liberty, and pursuit of property. As always, I hope these provide you value. If they do, please pay the fee for this free show, which is tell a friend. Without further ado, today's guest is Carrie Egan. Carrie, welcome. Hello. We just got finished with a workout and a very intense conversation. Parts of that conversation could very well have been the podcast, but what I really like to do and part of my creative process is get the juices flowing creatively, physically get the blood pumping, and I'm going to title this podcast, Living One Day at a Time. One of the things, Carrie, that I've learned from you is that having someone to talk to, to reach out to, to either hold you accountable is like a two-way street. Mm. Um, so Carrie is my is, is a client of mine as a fractional CMO, and her business is my interventionist. And this podcast is not about me and my story, but I will, I will say that um, I have a special place in my heart for the business and for Carrie um, because she, one, she showed up to my mother's funeral. Two, I believe my mother was killed by someone that if they would have known Carrie – I still have a mom. So, you know, without further ado, Carrie, what, um, what today, you know, April 12th, 2023, would you say is different about your journey with entrepreneurship and recovery than say a year ago, like last Easter? What is, what's changed? Cause I first interviewed you a year ago and this is probably our third interview. Mm. Wow. That's a good one. Um, Refinement. Uh, I think I have really developed a way to deliver a clear, concise message over the last year. Um, you know, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I had my vision, um, but it was just another idea without a plan. Today, I feel like I have a plan. You mentioned that, that you're my fractional CMO. Um, building a brand can be a lonely endeavor for an entrepreneur. And today I feel surrounded by a team, um, part of the, uh, of a mastermind group. And, you know, that's how we met. And I think some of the moves that I made over the last year were exactly what I needed to develop and refine my process. So when it comes to, you know, I, I feel like there's so much we could talk about as far as your story, it goes back. But one of the things that Carrie and I are working on that I'm very proud of is her and I are similar in so far as when we have the energy, we feel like we can take on the world and do everything all at once right now. And we know that strategy is really just putting constraints upon unlimited opportunities and prioritizing decisions and projects based on finite resources of time and money. Yep. So, so, you know, just so you understand what we've been working on, Carrie, you have revamped your LinkedIn. You have took over control of your personal brand on social media and you're yep. writing a book. Yep. All things that, uh, I believe, you know, that what I said is right before we hit the record button, you know, and started our podcast is, you know, everybody has a human condition and we just have to figure out how to play the game. And, um, you know, I'm, I am 
I am using the the things that I've learned over the last year, the refinement. I'm getting in shape so I can be the best entrepreneur, um, the best athlete to play the game, to make the moves. And, um, you know, I believe in, in the book. I believe that it's going to add some credibility to my story. Um, I've had positive response from Facebook. And, you know, I did allow someone else to manage my, my personal page. We were kind of doing it together. I would do a post you know, if something hit me, but otherwise I had this consistency going and, um, it didn't feel authentic. It wasn't me. And through working together, you know, you really reinforce that, you know, the, the brand that you're putting out there doesn't match up with having somebody else do your posting. And I think that was, um, the beginning of the change of me pulling back ownership and not thinking that I needed to delegate um, with, with the branding and the messaging, um, I, or outsource, you know, and it was really about picking a strategy partner and that's what I needed. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like the relationship, as far as being a fractional CMO, I hope that, you know, my role in helping grow businesses, I'm not, you know, like a, like a point guard or I'm not like a, you know, a six man on the bench to come in to use a basketball analogy is like a, like a role player, utility player. I want to be more like a, a specialized coach. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like I'm giving Carrie, it's just tons more work to do. And sometimes I feel like Carrie already is doing tons of work. I just want her to get more out of the work, like the time she's spending working to where, you know, one of the things in, in my story is I have tons and tons and tons of trial and error in a specific field of marketing. Um, and I also am lucky enough to have tons and tons of time getting to know Carrie and her business. So converging the understanding of marketing and Carrie specifically, it's like, all right, if we do these activities, guess what? Like we're not doing too little because we're doing fewer total activities. We're just doing the things that we find to be the most valuable to the best of our absolute ability and letting those seeds grow to be the healthiest plants to bear fruit that will pay us back. Um, we're in the early stages of that, but I will say, sorry, no, go ahead. Sometimes I, uh, my character defect gets me and I get so excited about what I want to say. Um, I think, you know, I think you nailed it right there. And I think what, what is important for, for me and for the, my interventionist brand is the spirit of the communication and I do believe that, that this company is going to grow. And I do believe someday that somebody else is going to um, be putting forth messages. Um, but it'll be the spirit of the communication. I was, I was too hands-off. I was getting lazy. And I needed to take ownership again. So one of the things that I really respect and like about working with Carrie is that, you know, part of your story, which will be in the book, is that you're a state champion basketball player. And not only were you a state champion basketball player, you were in Pennsylvania the same time. Like, you met Kobe Bryant. Like, after you won states, then he won states. Yep. Like, that moment, you know, I have a, the, the Black Mamba, his, his book, right, released right before he died. Um, and I just, like, look up at that. And when I'm on a Zoom meeting, I'm like, Carrie freaking bumped shoulders with this guy. And it's just like, um, 
it's so fun to work with people that are coachable. And I think Carrie is the embodiment of coachable because she has done it all. And I don't think she'd ever ask somebody to do something that she hasn't already done or isn't willing to do. <coughs> yeah, I was brought up on that. I mean, my dad, Saturdays, we still went to the office. It was the days we cleaned up the trash and went through the dumpster. Mm. You know, and and wiped the the windows and and washed the car, so it was all ready. I just I just recently, um, you know, we're, you're helping me too, and you, you suggested I send you my weekly expenses, and um, I had a ten dollar expense this week to wash the car, and washing the car for me is it needs to be clean and ready to do that next call, mm-hmm. that next intervention. You know, something that that my dad taught me. I I grew up learning. Um, in what he called Sales 101. Um, and, and that was just him talking after Paul Harvey was done and, and learning how to build a machine. You know, my dad sold um, the first business that he started um, was a brand name Commonwealth Security Systems in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And he had 11 regional offices in the Mid-Atlantic region. And he... Um, you know, he sold that for $44 million worth of uh, worth of stock, and he was only 40 years old. And that so, was in the 90s. And that was in 1996. So adjusted for inflation, it's at least like $100 million. Yep. And, you know, here's, here's about choosing the right partner, you know, and taking other people's inventory and knowing who you want to roll with. You know, he had a lot of bad, bad advice. And he was not, he's not liquid, and he's not invested anymore. And he's back hitting the bricks in his first year of a new business, brokerage business, after losing his third run at commercial and residential security integration companies. So from $44 million at 40 years old to 73 and back hitting the bricks, trying to sign up dealers for a 6% commission so he can eat. And... Um, there's the life lessons that I have from growing up um, with a serialpreneur. <laughs> <laughs> um, Both in his own business and other businesses. Yeah, and other businesses. I mean, after he sold out, he tried to be an investor for about eight months before he started another security. Wasn't company the again. game you wanted to play? No, he couldn't. He couldn't get out of the recurring revenue business. Yeah. Um. So funny talking about there's two things that came to mind. One, it's like the point of business. If you look at it from an infinite game, if you play, if you do business as a game, you know the goal is to keep playing, right? Yeah. The goal is to keep playing. I mean, he might not be financially like you know uh, how long have the Green Bay Packers been around? How long have the LA Lakers been around? LA Lakers didn't win the championship every single year. Some years they had really crummy years. Some years they won the championship, but like. If I had to guess, like maybe your dad's looking at it like, all right, this is a bad year, but next year we'll win the championship. And it's like you just keep playing. And um, the thing I love about business is, and it's so true, is that it's a team sport. Mm-hmm. And we so often treat it like we are not only the star athlete, but like we are the whole team. I'm not saying he did that, but like I know that that was one of my biggest uh, character defects in my 20s is that I would have successes within a business and just take it so personally, like, I'm the reason this is so great. Mm. And there's, like, 90 other people that work at the company, and they're like, mf no. <laughs> it's not all you. Thanks for helping. But now that you, like, if you feel that way, then, you know, and I, and I, you know, anyway, not talking about myself, but 
It's a team sport. And it's also like picking the right vehicle, right? So playing the right game. Your dad only was eight, eight months as an investor. He just didn't want to play that game. That wasn't the game you wanted to play. And I know for you, you have a lifetime in security. Like you have a very accomplished track record selling and you know the business inside and out. Like I've seen it. I've seen you walk the walk and you, you could turn that on anytime you want but it takes a ton of courage to play the game that you truly feel is your game. And you've been doing that for the last year or so. Yeah. Coming on a year or so. Big, it was a big change. And, um, you know, there, there were times over the last, I'll say, uh, I've only been really out of security uh, for about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And over the last two and a half years, there were times where I thought, I mean, you know, we talked about it. Um, I got to do the do the thing that's going to build me the wealth the quickest. And I let my my what I thought were my needs, but were really wants mm. of financial freedom to kind of cloud my mission. And um, I'm happy, you know, back to that question about where are we April 12th? or 11th, whatever it is. Um, my mission is crystal clear. I am dedicated to building the My Interventionist brand. And for me, I don't want to be distracted by anything else. I love that singularity of focus. And, it, it, you know, entrepreneurship is a game. I think it's one of the hardest games. I think it's very much like going to war. Really, it's like the entrepreneur versus the market versus, you know, civilization almost because you're just calling and everything is on you. Like there's a lot of pressure, um, but it's hard, right? And and sometimes before we get started, I know this is true for me. Is I thought that like if I did a certain amount of activity, that I would get a certain amount of success, like clear input versus output. But sometimes there's a minimum order quantity, if you will. Yeah. Um, for how much you have to put in before you start seeing any results. And that's what hard feels like. It's a hard game, and sometimes you have to be reminded that this is what hard feels like. And that's okay because your dad didn't sell, didn't create a business that sold for 40-some million dollars without doing the hard stuff. Mm. You know, that was part of it. And it's like we, we, we can't just think about the successes. It's like the whole nature of the game. And So John Wooden, right? one of the most popular coaches, famous coaches. Uh, I'm reading a book and and he, there's a story about him in there and I wanted to share it with you. It's the first time I'm telling you this. Is the first thing he did for a new team on day one of practice was told everyone to take their shoes and socks off and put them on. And he taught them how to put on his, their socks mm. and how to tie their shoes. Because if you, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So you start with the basics. The very most basic thing is tying, lacing up your freaking shoes. Because if you don't do it right, you'll get blisters. And if you get blisters, you'll start to compensate and you'll get rolled ankles. You know, a weak ankle can compensate into a blown out ACL. Blown out ACL means you lost the, you're out for the season, which means we, we don't go to the championship. So it's like doing this, the seemingly small, mundane, boring shit day in and day out, like getting that hygiene, getting that, preventative maintenance on your business and on, and on yourself in that instance um, is not like sexy. It's not exciting, but it becomes a form of meditation. Yeah. You know, I, uh, my coaching experience um, outside of recovery coaching, my actual basketball coaching experience 
has been a couple years in the uh, Upward Christian program for my oldest nephew, Keegan. And um, talk about having a proud moment, being on that sideline. Yeah. Uh, in the in the church gym on a Saturday morning in Lancaster, like, okay, this isn't glorious. This isn't like winning a state championship, but it was to me. Yeah. You know? And um, I get to say I did that. But sometimes, you know, that was during the time when I was operating Amish Oak Direct and I was delivering Amish furniture. That's hard work. Yeah. The work I do with my interventionist brand doesn't feel like work. That's just <laughs> luck, life. I'm just playing a game I love. And um, I want to build a team and I want to be the coach. And, um, you know, I've, I've shared my plans um, with you and, and I'll, I'll share them. And I've shared them with my financial you know, advisors, you know, I, in, in three years, within three years, I'll say, you know, my intention is to have probably about 55 employees to service what I hope is about 5,000 customers. I mean, I can't do that by myself. When you want a state championship, you probably had up on, you know, your mirror or your ceiling or your wall. I want to win a state championship. And some people don't dare to dream greatly and they don't ever care to fail greatly but if you don't dream greatly you'll never you'll never get it and you know 55 employees 5,000 customers and doing the game playing the game you love I mean that combination of factors is lost on so many entrepreneurs because they want the output like you're not your goals are based on serving on providing salaries and providing shelter for families and like a way to make a living and a meaningful way to make a living and something that is you know, more spiritually gratifying than maybe some other job opportunity for your employees. And then for your customers, you just like – if you save 5,000 lives because quite frankly with mental health and with addiction, like the recidivism rates in the United States are somewhere around 90%. Mm-hmm. So like your method and approach to recovery drastically – Without having the data in front of me, without saying it's the best in the world, I'm not saying it's the best, but I'm saying it's a new way to approach a problem that has, in the recent history, you know, it's an ep- epidemic in the United States. People don't talk about it. people talk about deaths from COVID, which is a real thing, but they don't talk about you know the domestic violence increase. They don't talk about the overdose increase, the suicide increase. Like you're you're bravely stepping towards a game that I think is kind of leaving left behind by society. Yeah, I'm running at full force. And um, you have to state your goal. And you have to be comfortable sharing it out loud with anybody, I think. Yeah. You know, you definitely have to with your advisors, the other people you're playing with. But part of your brand, let people know what your goals are. Put them out there. Um, Back to the state championship. Mm -hmm. I walked into the first practice that season. You know, and I was a junior in high school that year on the varsity team. And I walked into the first practice and said, we're going to win a state championship. We're going to have a fucking banner up there. Yeah. Just like that one. And we did it. And it's so cool. After it, like, happened and we had our medal to go, holy cow. Like, I set this goal. I said this. And we fucking followed through. Yeah. And, you know, I had my, my moment, you know, we were in triple overtime down by 15 points, three minutes to go. 
I was on the bench. I hadn't played in the last most recent four games because I was ineligible for my grades. I got put into the game because to the second starter fouled out, and I was a six-man. My coach, you know, he had to put me in, and I scored seven points. And I had, I don't know, X amount of assists and X amount of rebounds in the final, you know, three minutes of regulation. I didn't sink the, the, the tie bucket, but I had 17 of those 15 comebacks. I mean, seven of those 15 points coming that back. That were directly you. Yeah. Directly me, yeah, over that last three minutes. And anyway, the North School, the team we bought, they were, they're beat, bought, business, <laughs> the team we beat, um, they were ranked ninth in the nation by USA Today. Um, it, you know, the morning before the game, that was yeah. the, the headline. And I said, we're going to fucking win. Yep. And honestly, Ross, I got to tell you that I, I think that at least half of the players on my team didn't believe it. They didn't believe that we could do it. Believing in yourself and surrounding yourself with other people that believe in you, for me, like, that's the only way. And I, you know, I got into recovery in 2011. And for me, I knew I had to be all in. And I knew during my intervention that I was going to be an interventionist. Mm-hmm. You know, I asked that intervention, I think I've told you before, but I asked her, how much did I pay for this ride? My business mind was already going. Mm-hmm. I had already, just in the car ride for the intervention, thought... I can't do the security business because that's drinking. So if I'm, you know, what am I going to do? I was already trying to figure out my next game. Mm-hmm. You know, I got mm-hmm. old and fat and out of shape. And mm-hmm. Didn't don't play basketball anymore. So, <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's it's so rare to find people that can play the game that they were in love with in high school for like a living. I have one. I think I have one friend that is a professional that is his main source of income that from wrestling. That's awesome. And it's like amazing because I have other friends that like I have a friend that is a referee, does a part time, you know. But one friend is like a head assistant coach at UPenn, and he just like this is the love of the game. It's just the love of the game and love of the of the sport and the team, and that's what got him through. I mean, um, one of the things, Carrie, I want you to talk about is yes, you, you got the result. Like you can look back in time. And no one can ever take away the concrete evidence that your hard work paid off because you obtained the goal because you believe, right? Like the end result was there. Like the output, like we have that in our hand and it's tangible and like you can go to the newspaper. Like, all right, this moment was special and, and rewarding. But what I want you to talk about is what was your daily routine, the inputs you did, the boring work to get that that result, that feeling at the end of the day? Like what did you do to do to get that? Yeah, no, that's, that's spot on with, with what I'm working on right now. Um, I, uh, you know, I did some writing for the book, um, again yesterday and I'm focused on discipline right now because as I shared with you during our workout, my vision for Carrie today is that I get back to being basketball Carrie. And what I mean by that is not that I'm, you know, running up and down basketball courts anymore with my arthritis in my knees and ankle joints. What I mean is dedication to building who is Carrie and Carrie and my interventionists are synonymous right now. And my 
routine when I was a basketball player included, um, you know, with the John, it, it included lacing up properly. It included wearing, wearing an ankle brace. I put it on the same every day. I did stuff the same every day. There was routine. I was putting in the reps. I was at the gym doing the work in the mornings before school. And then in the gym again after school lifting weight and going to practice. And um, I still was eating. I, I want to make sure I'm not, not fibbing here. But... Uh, I think I was still eating whenever I wanted then. High school, um, wasn't it nice? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it didn't really matter. So I, I don't think I ever was much of a dieter. Um, <laughs> but uh, I certainly consumed the protein and consumed the Gatorades and consumed what I saw the NBA players at the time. There was no WNBA back then. I said I was going to be the first NBA player. What? And, and there was no WNBA. I dreamed that I would be the first WNBA player. Yeah, there's no WNBA I when I was in that. high school. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't a thing yet. And um, wow, but all that took injury took um, my opportunity to play in college away. Right. Injury, yep. but alcohol kept the dream of me playing any additional recreational or or anything. You know, for for the last uh, twenty years, I've been away from the game. And when I say I want to get back to basketball, Carrie, I'm creating those routines for now in my business. Well, you told me that. What time I get up, what time I go to sleep. I was going to say. Eat, what I drink, what I read, what I consume. Yeah. You know, um, for uh, the last 10 years, I would fall asleep to Discovery ID. I would call it murder porn. Okay. Um, just criminal stories and yeah. serial killers and... You know, just stuff that people might be afraid of. And um, I don't know. That was how I would relax. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now uh, the TV is usually on because my wife watches TV before I go to bed. But I find myself, I turn it off and I grab my book. Yeah. You know, because I want to use every moment in time, every single minute of the day, I need to be focused on building my brand. Yeah. And that looks like so many different things because it's building carry. Yep, because you are your brand, and and I'm and I'm I'm coming out, you know, I'm coming out of the cave. I was listening to Mumford and Sons on the way here, yeah, and uh, you know, I am sharing my story with the world unapologetically, and it can be a scary thing, you know, um, because I I kind of got off on a tangent here, but I think this is important. Um, how do you? Honor somebody while at the same time telling the story from your perspective if their behavior was unbecoming and not um, what you would think they would want you to report. Mm. You know, I have to report my story the way it happened. And the way it happened for me, I have a huge amount of trauma response to living in a chaotic environment. Right. Um, I don't want to say too much, but... Well, they have to in, buy the book. This, yeah, too read, much. Read the book when it comes out. In this format. Yeah, I can't... Yeah, I can't July 4th, yeah. Independence Day, we're going to get this book. Independence Day, yep. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's a simple answer. Yep, you can get it. So... And what's the title of the book? Living 
L-I-V-I-N, and then I do the apostrophe after, after the end, and it's in all caps. And uh, I started saying living um, shortly after I got out of rehab at Ashley Treatment Center. They would say, you got to get busy living or get busy dying. Mm. And I was like, well, I'm going to get busy living. Yeah. Fuck, who wants to die? I mean, after, you, after you're not putting in the alcohol for a few days... You realize, like, it's not really the smart thing to do. Mm. You know, not not if you want to succeed. Mm-hmm. And um, drinking alcoholically, I'm saying. And uh, now we have so much health evidence to show that it's no longer seven to ten drinks a week that are healthy. Mm. You know, it's scaled much back much even further than that. But anyway, so I started saying living. And um, I was like, living... Like with my with my friends, anytime I did anything that yeah. somebody else thought was honey badgerish, or uh, yeah. you know, Carrie will do that. What the like, what is wrong with her? Like she'll do anything. I would just say live in, yeah. and uh, so that's gonna be the title: live in, and then breaking the stigma. Breaking the stigma. Um, there's so much to that too. It's like you talk about honey badger right there. I don't think we talked about that in the podcast. We talked about off airs. So honey badger. For those that don't know, there was a popular video on the internet several years ago that went to the tune of Honey Matters Don't Give a Fuck. Yeah. That was the, the tagline. So, and we are back. We left off talking about how Honey Badger, a.k.a. Carrie, is breaking the stigma. It's part of her title of her book. So that means a lot of things. And Carrie, if you want to dive into just a story about Tell you, you know, a honey badger story. About a honey badger story? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a honey badger story. So <clears throat> part of my journey that you're going to read about includes uh, hanging out in some campgrounds and uh, during my final days of drinking. And one of, the, one of the things that I upheld my badger name was I got totally blackout drunk. And, um, you know, those, uh, like, it's like the circle, what do they call it? It's not a life preserver, but it's like the, it's like the life safety device that hangs by pools. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what they're called though. I just call them floaties. That's all they're called though. All right, Buoys so, maybe. So I grabbed a, uh, I grabbed the circle floaty and that was the only thing that I wore and I ran through the camp campground. <laughs> <laughs> so just the life preserver floaty <laughs> and um so that was badgery because i just didn't give a fuck you know the the campground it was in palm springs california and we were there to like party it was our final we knew i was then going to vegas and going back to to uh work and they were moving from their their whole thing, they were moving from Ontario to Vancouver, so you know Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, they were, you know, at the end in California, and they were selling their RV and going to... So we were getting drunk, doing doing crazy shit in Palm Springs. So in old school, we're going to the gymnasium, we're going streaking. Yes. That's... <laughs> but I was still doing But real that. life. I was still doing that in real life at 32 years old. <laughs> <laughs> In a classy campground. One of the one of the things that I got the pleasure to, to review because you know we're in the process of writing a book of breaking the stigma is 
you grew up, you're married to a woman. Yes. So you're in a, you know, a loving lesbian marriage. Correct. But you went to Catholic school. <laughs> so I look at that as like a perfect example to talk about. Uh, modern America is a different place. 2023 is a different place than like the 90s. Uh, you know, growing Way up. different. <laughs> so, like, you were one of, like, the pioneers of, like, hey, this is my gender, my identity. Um, can you discuss a little bit, give us, like, a teaser about how you navigated, like, what the old stigmas were about, like, who you were as a person and then how you came to terms with, like, hey, I'm out, I'm open, and I'm authentically me. Yeah, so um, a, sh- a shameless plug, too. There's an organization called Embrace. Mm-hmm. Lancaster and it's an interfaith group and I don't know how I found them I was on this mission um, I started out first trying to get the Catholic Church to accept me and give me full rights like I was gonna I'm ready to go against the freaking Vatican <laughs> so and I started that just in my last year of drinking so some some personal development things were going on during my last year my last year of drinking was not my most dangerous year good um, so I had, I had made some significant headway before totally putting it, giving up the drink. But, um, there was a, a Catholic church, small chapter, not part of the Roman Catholic church. So that wasn't good enough for me, mm. you know, in California. And I came back to Lancaster and I started going to church now new in recovery and wanting that connection. And I went to the Methodist church and I went to the, um, I even went to a Baptist church and I just, nothing felt like church. Catholics, you know, us Roman Catholics, which um, mm-hmm. I still kind of feel part of it, even though um, I'm not viewed as, as a whole, whole member. I guess I'm viewed as a whole member, but I don't get all full member benefits. Um, but Embrace, joining Embrace gave me that reinforcement that, hey, this isn't really, like, cool. We don't think it's cool. And Embrace, uh, now, today, I'm really, really proud to say that we have over 30 churches in Lancaster County that are not only open but also affirming and, you know, make the pledge on their website Mm -hmm. that they're a part of Embrace. And in order to be a part of Embrace, everything has to be, you know, equal. So if you're going to offer marriage to the boy and the girl, you got to offer it to the girl and the girl. So like one of my favorite things talking about theology and religion is the idea that, uh, you know, Jesus loves us, all of us. For Christianity specifically, Jesus died to save us. He died for all of our sins, not just some of our sins. So the idea that like he only loves heteronormative Caucasian, uh, middle to upper middle class, like white people, like not saying that that's like a prevalent idea, but it's just hilarious that people think that Jesus was being exclusive. He wasn't being exclusive. Like you, everyone that's a human was made in God's image. Now we can do what we will with our decisions and whatever, like that's like, that's on the person, but like it doesn't like you, according to the Christianity, the atonement happened and it happened for everyone. Like full stop. People can try and discuss religion all they want, but if they 
reject that axiom, then they're just like t- missing a thing, a very fundamental pillar of what the religion really, that religion really is. Yeah, and uh, I have friends, not going into detail, that went through religious studies undergrad, doctorate in divinity postgrad through a seminary school, were part of the church. They fought the good fight and they left the church because it wasn't either gender affirming or um, sexuality affirming. And they were in a you know heteronormative relationship, but they had friends that were trans or friends that were gay or whatever. And they're just like, we're not going to commit our lives to an organization that rejects our friends and family. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, good for you. That's how shit changes. Yeah, you know, I'm can be considered the trailblazer, the progressive, um, and nothing ever happens fast enough for me. Um, <laughs> I always want it done yesterday. But, you know, it it takes time for congregations to be ready to even have the conversations to start to put in place the open, open and affirming. Um, so, you know, Embrace started, I believe it was 2007. I was introduced in 2011. You know, now we're at 2023, and I'm happy that we have 30 congregations. There's still a ton of work to do. But, you know, what you said is, is uh, brings up for me one of the things that helped during that last year. You know, I talk a lot about that last year, but it was so transformative to me with my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And... um I saw uh, Shelly Wright at uh, at a live event, and then I found out she had a movie and a documentary of her story. Okay. And Shelly Wright came out as the first openly gay country singer. I did not know that. Yeah. So um, it was called uh, Wish Me Away, and she said, hating for Jesus. And that resonated for me. She said, I love the people that are hating for Jesus. Interesting. Yeah, so hating for Jesus. And it's still going on and, and people wanna quote their seven Bible verses, but the reality is the word homosexuality is not actually in the Bible. Anywhere. Nowhere. I mean, here's the thing, and again, I'm not trying to fight City Hall, but someone like for an institution that has a long and I, I would say troublesome past with um, you know, the clergy having their issues with younger boys, like mm-hmm. underage, non-consenting boys, you know, fathers touching, you know. Here's the thing, like, people like authenticity and openness and honesty. And when you, like, there's, you know, the Donald Trump hush money thing. It's like, yeah, but no one ever condemns, like, a church member for the same thing. Yeah. I what consenting adults do, they're consenting adults. They're making decisions. So I, I, what I want is, again, if I ruled the world, everyone would just be – we all be playing by the same set of rules. You know, Jesus said Lo- love your neighbor, not you know, hate this neighbor and, and favor that neighbor. It's like love your neighbor. Um, he didn't say – hey, it's really wrong to be homosexual unless you're a Catholic priest and you're doing it to a boy in the church. Then it's okay. Like That was not in the Bible either. Right. I mean, I'm not a historian. I'm not a Bible scholar, but I'm pretty sure I bet money on that. Yeah, I'd take that bet on your side. And again, like the consenting adults doing loving who they want is 
should be okay. Yeah. And it is okay. And, you know, it was really hard for my wife to want to go to a different church. And I wanted to find a church home. And I wanted all the benefits. And I realized that that wasn't going to be the Roman Catholic Church probably in my lifetime. Mm. So I had, you know, we talk about the conditions, accepting the conditions for the game you want to play. Yeah. So I figured that um, I found the Episcopal Church, which I heard they call Catholic Light. (laughs) I actually (laughs) have heard that. (laughs) And um, the Nicene Creed's the same. And that's the profession of faith Mm -hmm. that is is shared during Mass. Um, I now have my mom going to the church that we got married in. Oh, awesome. St. James, you know, and my friend actually had a wedding there. Oh yeah. That's where I got married. Saint, oh, we Saint were the James? first. Yeah. We were the first. In Lidditz? No, St. James Episcopal in Lancaster. Uh, I'm sorry. Wrong. No, I'm wrong. That's all right. But Episcopal, we were, um, we were the first, Timmy and I were the first lesbian couple, gay couple actually to get married at St. James Episcopal. You're a freaking trailblazer. All day, every day. Jesus. Honey badger, honey badger. Don't give a fuck. I'm going to figure it out. We, you know, when, when we were so early that the form still only said uh, husband and wife, you know, not spouse. So I'm crossing out husband. And they were all very apologetic. Oh, we're so sorry. Da, 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 da. Like, it's cool. I just, I was like, I don't know if I'm a husband or a wife, to be honest, but. I'm Carrie. I'm Carrie. That. Yeah. I, I don't know. <coughs> Another little teaser. I, I talk about my, my salutations and pronouns and all that. You know, because... Well, it's so different. Like, your story is so... Like, the the thing today, like... Again, not saying, you know... I'm not going to pass a value judgment on current events. But you were fighting to be Carrie. Yes. From a very young age. You know, girls, they cook and they clean and they do these things inside. Boys play outside. You're like, F that, I'm playing outside. Yep. You know, that's a totally righteous, like, punk rock fucking thing to do. Yeah, this is just to be know, I was born in 1978. So yeah. this was 80, 81, 82. It was the era of the Just Say No and um, Reagan era. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah, Just Say No and Dare as far as like drugs and alcohol went. And it was, sorry, but in business and, and, and the life, it was the Leave It to Beaver. You know, that's the show that was on. Mm hmm. And that was what people were aspiring to be. It, but my house didn't look like that. Right. And I didn't come out like that. And that was never going to be me. I mean, there was a time where I wanted to be Beaver. You know, not going to lie. Is that his name? Is it even? I don't know. Whatever. You know, I wanted to have, I thought I wanted to have the two parents at home because my parents weren't home with me. Mm-hmm. You know? They're all working. Out at work, 16, 17 hour days. Yep. You know, there was a time my mom was a mother of three with a husband that traveled and she was going to college and working. And, uh, but you know, we had, we had help. It's so, it's so awesome. You know, one of the things that I want to show appreciation for for your story is it's like you take the good with the bad. Mm. There's some super good things and then there's some super tough things. When I say good, I mean like high highs and low lows and it just gives such a great context for the story. It's not, Super relatable because life is messy and life is complex and there's no such thing as like a perfect life. And like the the lows make the highs better and the the highs lead to the lows and it's just like this nonlinear story that you just keep showing up and um, 
connecting with people and I, I don't want to ramble, but my point is, it's just like so few times you hear someone talk about like in the same story, in the same podcast. Yeah, I was in a serious like alcoholic episode where I went streaking and then like 20 minutes before, oh yeah, I also won a state championship with Kobe Bryant and I was destined for the NBA. It's like, holy shit, like people are complicated. Yeah. And it's so, it's so fun. Yeah, I feel like every time, one of the things I like about talking with Carrie is that every time I talk to her, I like learn something new. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, so we're talking, a lot of what we talk about in this podcast, Carrie, is really the process of uncovering authentically your story and like leaning into being the character that you are in your DNA, you know, who you believe to be in your heart, who you aspire to be with your values, who you are bound to be by the circle you run with, because I feel like people are the, you know, who they hang out with that really destines their, their future. But a lot of it is like, you know, honey badger don't give a fuck, but Carrie really cares. Carrie cares deeply. Yeah. I, I love deeply. Um, Old habits die hard. Yeah. You know, so I've, I've got things, but one thing that I know how to do, and I can, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, I absolutely believe that I will love you with the best care and concern out of anybody. Yeah. You know, I, 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 there's, there's other interventionists, you know? Yeah. But I, I provide a boutique service. Because of how deeply I can love. There's tons of other solutions for recovery, but like the personal relationship that Carrie creates with people she works with and the way that she will quite literally bend over backwards. Like I guarantee you if, if there was the option on the table between going streaking in a public place, if that was what was necessary to save someone from their addiction, she would, you do it with a heartbeat. Oh, all over. Yeah. All over again. You wouldn't give a fuck there. Nope. Never. I, uh, I, um, I'm very thankful for the grace that I've been given. I have mm. an extreme amount of gratitude for the lessons that I've learned that have brought us to today. Um, I have new perspective. You know, I, I, I'm not going to say that I don't screw up, but I screw up with love. You, I think it, to err is to be human, mm. but I feel like you make no, um, mistake that you're a human on a mission yeah i have a mission i am building a business right now i am building a boutique services going to help people recover and you have been like one of the things that's so interesting about your business now is like i i've seen stories uh what was his name first name last name showfield oh eric eric uh spotford 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 okay he was on um, Andy Priscilla's podcast, and you know his story was pretty raw and real. And I'm like, I'm like talking to Carrie. I like, you know, you showed me that podcast. I really like his podcast. And I'm like, Carrie, you have ten more years of experience before, like doing this work. Like it's just a matter of the self belief, putting in the reps, putting in the work. Like, and it's a different business, right? But your level of experience and your level of effort, you're quite your uh, educational background, your certificates, the amount of pro bono services you've done. Like, I mean, you've done some interventions paid and like you're getting better and better at them. And I think the product, like there's three parts of business and from my perspective that really matter. 
And it's like, <coughs> you know, sales is an important skill because it's persuasion and one-on-one. Marketing is, I define it as making something known. I have defined it as selling from one to many. And I define it as uh, making people want to do something is what I think marketing is. But then there's product. And if you have a good product, which is also service, um, it doesn't matter how skilled you are or talented you are at sales or marketing kind of falls by the wayside because your customers will sell for you and the results will speak for themselves. And I really think where you built today in a business is like an undeniable service. Yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, we have the research, the things that I'm putting in play. um, I didn't necessarily invent. It's my way that I'm going to orchestrate them. And it's the the level of service that I'm going to provide um, so that the relapse rate is reduced. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's brain, brain science. And there's a lot of smart people. And I've spent 10 years listening to those smart people and figuring out how to put this together, how to come up with the best plays. Well, I'm excited for one to walk on this journey with you, to helping get your book published, to you know serving people so that we get to the point where you have 55 employees and 5,000 customers. And I hope anyone listening, like if you have someone that's struggling that can relate to you know, feeling these high highs and feeling these low lows that just wants to walk in peace and walk in uh, a journey of life where they, they believe there's something more. And they, you know, it, you can't put a price tag on saving someone's life. Um, and again, I'll speak to my own experience. It's like I would, I would pay whatever Carrie's asking to get my mom back. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if that person that killed my mom was my friend or my son or my relative, I would reach out to Carrie and be like, hey, like this is the this is the path to uh I don't want to say redemption but to living life again versus getting busy dying. I appreciate that. And um you know something else that's important about me is that you know I choose my customers. Mm. And if I'm not the right one for the job, I'll tell you. Yeah. And I've got a network of people that I can refer that might be better suited for your family. But, you know, of course, call me, reach out to me, find me on the internet, email me. I'm on all the, you know, mainstream platforms. I'll tell you in the consult. We'll know if we have the chemistry. Mm-hmm. During that first, second call, you'll be making a decision. No doubt. Well, Carrie, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Everyone listening, if you found value, reach out to Carrie, like, subscribe, or share the podcast. Thanks so much. And as always, I'm here to bring valuable brainstorms for your life, liberty, and pursuit of property. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much.